Hi, everybody. Do you remember the first toolbox that you ever got? Now, some of you are thinking, I've never gotten a toolbox. But I remember the first toolbox I got. It was wooden. It was enclosed, had a little latch, and inside of it were all these, uh, probably the cheapest tools you've ever seen. They weren't the plastic ones, though. It had a wooden handle, um, a little saw. And boy, I was excited about the tool set. You know, my sisters probably could give you the best stories about the amazing things I could do with my tools. And uh, I remember making a garden fence, and uh, it had a lot of um, wood pieces and some chicken wire and a little a hinge. And uh, I remember the first time I brought my family out to try this garden fence uh, behind our shed, and we went to open it, and the whole thing fell down. The whole thing fell to the ground. And, uh, you know, another thing that I'm famous for my family, I was really good at taking things apart. Like when I used my screwdriver to undo every screw in the playset in the backyard, but still have the thing standing and look like it was going to support my sisters. Uh, but they found out that indeed I was able to destroy it with my tools. You know, I was involved in a project here, Project Unveiled uh, is what we called it, and this is what our church uh, used to look like, the, the uh, auditorium, the sanctuary. I learned a lot during this project about what it was like to do construction. Uh, Pat, uh, Pastor Kurt's dad, Jim Pearson, uh, he was amazing. He he knew how to do the things that I uh, dreamt up, and I learned a lot about what it actually takes to build something, and including removing a bunch of stuff. And, uh, but there was a guy, the day that we announced that we wanted to do this grand vision. Now, I was naive. I was young. You know, they talk about counting the cost or you know, knowing how much something's going to cost before you start. It didn't happen here. I was convinced that it would just happen. Uh, God would do it, and indeed he did. But I didn't realize everything that was going to be involved. And I, I was I'm grateful for uh, Jim and his ex expertise on the structural construction. But there was a guy named Nick. The day we announced that we wanted to do this project, and uh, I love Nick. Nick was a is an electrician, and he came up that day and he said, "Hey, you know, there's probably some electrical work you need to done on this project." And uh, I was like, yeah. He's like, I'd like to volunteer uh, my, my skill set. And that was amazing. And he did some things under this stage, just like artwork from an uh, electrician perspective. And I remember the day that he brought his son with him. His son's five years old, and his son had this brand new tool belt and the tools in it. And this electrician, this master electrician, he was going to teach his son how to do some electrical work. And this boy was excited. I wish I could remember his name right now. I can't remember his name. Um, I'm sure you'll blow up the text feed. His name was, but uh, I just, uh, I remember the things that Nick taught his son. I remember there's actually a picture of them over there working and wiring up and things like keep your hands, keep, keep two hands available at all time. You know, you pull out your screwdriver, and then like what I do is I got my screwdriver in one hand, I'm trying to do the rest of the job, and I forget I'm holding the screwdriver. It'd be way easier if I would just put the screwdriver down or back in the pocket, right, and do what I'm trying to do. Keep your hands free. Another thing I heard him get on his son, he's like, 
don't stand under me when I am above you doing work. And he got in trouble for that. And uh, he probably had to be told, there's a few things that you just did not do. And standing under a guy who's working was one of those. And I remember that. And that, I teach my kids that now. Like, you can ask them. Like, you know, I, I get my kids in trouble for some of those things uh, that I heard him teaching his son. And so there's some training involved. And today's story is really about the training that needed to happen in the disciples' hearts and minds, their life, and as it related to God's kingdom. So we are in the book of Luke chapter 9. I want to invite you to, to be there. And we're going to look at our passage today in five scenes. In fact, if you wanted to take notes, you could write, you could write that down. Scene number one, uh, for each scene, I've given it a great title. And you can write them next to the scene number. So scene number one, God is great. In fact, that's what I meant by giving it a great title. All of the titles will have the word great in it. And so you can write scene one, God is great. And for each scene, we're going to discover a kingdom value because Jesus is preparing his disciples for his kingdom. So our first scene found in Luke 9, verses 37 to 43, and it's titled, God is Great. We start off verse 37. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. And so, we're going to just pause right there because something just happened. Obviously, we're jumping right here into the middle of the story in, uh, in chapter 9. The day before, in fact, the night before, something amazing had happened. And where we pick up in our story is them the next day coming down the mountain. So, the night before, Jesus was transfigured before them. Before who? Actually, Jesus had invited three of his disciples, James, Peter, and John, to walk up the mountain with them that night to pray. And as they were there, Jesus began to trans be transfigured. His face began to, to shine, to radiate, and his clothes began to dazzle in brightness like lightning. And all of a sudden, the glory of God was on display. And then Moses and Elijah also appeared right next to Jesus, and they were talking about Jesus' death that would happen in Jerusalem. So this was the night before. I don't know how much sleep Jesus got that night, and I don't know how much sleep Peter got that, that night, and John and James. I imagine the nine disciples, the other nine, got pretty good sleep because they weren't invited to see the transfiguration. But here we are. They're coming down the next day from the mountain, and a crowd is approaching. So they meet this crowd. Verse 38. Just then a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you, look at my son, because he's my only child. Often a spirit seizes him. Suddenly he shrieks. And I'm imagining the crowd kind of, as, as they kind of recognize that Jesus is, is giving him 
his attention, that the crowd kind of opens up and quiets down, and, and, and the man, man continues. Suddenly he shrieks, and it throws him into convulsions until he foams at the mouth, wounding him. It, it hardly ever leaves him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. Jesus replied, You unbelieving and rebellious generation, how long will I put up with you? How long will I be with you? Bring your son here. Verse 42, As the boy was approaching, the demon knocked him down and threw him into severe convulsions. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, cured the boy, and gave him back to his father. Verse 43, And they were all astonished at the greatness of God. While everyone was amazed at these things he was doing, he told his disciples, end of the verse, end of our section. We'll get to there in a second. So what do we discover in this scene? First of all, here's our first kingdom value. In Jesus' kingdom, faith in God's power and submission to his authority are essential. Faith in God's power and submission to his authority are essential. So who do we have in this scene? We have a crowd. We have a man and his only child an unclean spirit, and Jesus with his 12 disciples. We notice this unclean spirit afflicting this child. The disciples who weren't able to drive it out. Jesus who does. The spirit is rebuked. The child is cured. And everyone in the crowd was amazed at what Jesus was doing and at the greatness of of God. And that was the appropriate response. Amazed at what he's doing and at the greatness of God. God is great. Let's dig into the story a little bit. We have this unclean spirit afflicting this boy that is then rebuked by Jesus. I just want to mention that it might seem to me like, well, maybe this child had epilepsy or some sort of physical dysfunction or some sort of disease. And, and uh, you know, the Bible just kind of gets it wrong or something like that. And I just want to ask real quick, like, do you think Jesus knows the difference between a demon and a physical defect? And I think that we would say yes. And the Bible makes distinctions between the two all throughout the Scriptures. And so this was a boy who was afflicted by a demon, a messenger from Satan. And so, let's talk about the next thing. Why was Jesus, why did Jesus say, as we read in verse 41, you unbelieving and rebellious generation, how long will I be with you and put up with you? It seems pretty harsh. Who was it that he was talking to? I want to show you guys a clip in a second. I'm not ready yet, but there's going to be a clip, so you might want to get your kids in the room. As you may know, I am a pastor, and I oversee the children's ministries. And so I, I found this clip that depicts the story, and I just wanted to show it to help maybe have it uh, kind of process, help them process it. And so who is this addressed to? Was it the crowds? Was he saying that to the man with the son? 
Was he saying this to the disciples? You unbelieving and rebellious generation, how long will I be with you and put up with you? Maybe it was to all of them. Although it seems like this man had great faith, and yet Jesus seems to be answering directly his comments. So who was it to? I think it's possible that Jesus was frustrated with his followers at this moment, and there was a lot of followers there at the time. He was frustrated, I think, maybe his disciples. Let's watch this clip. Son, these men are trying to help you. They will cast out your evil spirit. These disciples of Jesus have been known to cast out demons. They've been trying for some time, but it is not working for this poor child. Clearly, you do not possess the power to cast out a demon such as this. They need incense and amulets. Spirit, leave this boy and never return. <gasps> they are deceivers! They cannot heal him! Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. You faithless and corrupt people. How long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. I've never seen Jesus so angry with his disciples. Teacher, we did everything we could. But the spirit would not do as we commanded. How long has this been happening? Ever since he was a child, the demon has often tried to kill him by throwing him into a fire or into water. Please, have pity and help us if you can. Why do you say, if you can? Anything is possible for someone who has faith. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I order you to come out of the boy! Is he dead? My son. My son. Please, no. The boy has died. What? 
son. I have my son. So the disciples weren't able to drive out the Spirit. How do you suppose the disciples felt about that? And why was this a problem that they couldn't do it? I think that we find the answers in the beginning of chapter 9, in Luke chapter 9, verse 1. Jesus brings his disciples in together. So let's read that together. Summoning the twelve he gave them power and authority over all the demons and power to heal diseases. He gave them power and authority over all demons and the power over diseases. The disciples had been given this and the indictment that he gives is unbelieving and rebellious generation. And he, then he laments, how long will this last? How long am I going to be with you? Kind of shocking words. He seems a bit impatient. Yes. Jesus isn't messing around. It's almost as if he realizes that the time is short. Some things these disciples needed to get, and they needed to get these lessons like yesterday. I just want to ask before we, we move on, what power has he given you? What authority has he given you? Maybe there's some power and authority that he has given his followers that we're not exercising. Isn't it easy to get distracted from his kingdom purposes? To get our eyes off of his kingdom and what really matters to Jesus? I want to suggest that you write down 2 Peter chapter 1 and verses 2 through 12. What power have we been given? I'd like to just read just a little bit of it. Verse 2 says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ, through our knowledge of Him and Jesus our Lord. Sorry. Verse 3, His divine power has given us everything we need everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. By these He has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desires. And he goes on to list some attributes character qualities that we should be developing and focused on. If you go to verse 8, it says, these qualities are yours. If they're yours and they're increasing, they'll keep you from being useless and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. So, there's some 
power that I just want us to remember. We have the power of salvation. Romans 1.16 talks about the gospel, the power of salvation for those who believe. That's the power to live in His kingdom. Like Colossians 1.11-14, He's transferred us into the kingdom of the Son that He loves. He's given us the power to live, not in timidity and fear, but He's given us a, a spirit of power. At first, or at 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7. And I, I mentioned authority as well. You have been given authority. If you write down Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, the Great Commission, Jesus came near to him and said, all authority has been given to me and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Go and make followers for me. You've been given power and you've been given authority. And I'm wondering, is it possible that we've taken our eyes off the kingdom? So in, our, in your notes, you should have seen one, God is great, and the kingdom value in Jesus' kingdom, faith in God's power and submission to his authority are essential. Now I want to take you to the next scene. Scene two, am I great? I've called it, am I great? And it's from verses 43 to 48. And we're going to read this section. Verse 43, now remember, they were all astonished they were all astonished at the greatness of God. While everyone was amazed at all these things he was doing, he told his disciples, let these words sink in. The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand this statement. It was concealed from them so that they could not grasp it. And they were afraid to ask him about it. Verse 46, Then an argument started among them about who would be the greatest of them. But Jesus, knowing the thoughts of their hearts, took a little child and had him stand next to him. He told them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. For whoever is least among you, this one is great. You know, if I had more time, I would try to convince you of how this passage basically says that kids' ministry is definitely the greatest team you could be on. But uh, really the point here actually is that kingdom value, the kingdom value here you could write in there, is that in Jesus' kingdom, greatness is found in seeking and sacrificing for the interests of others above your own. In Jesus' kingdom, greatness is found in seeking and sacrificing for the interests of others above your own. And you just might want to write Luke twenty-two twenty-six to 27. Luke 22, 26 to 27. You know, this week I was considering, like, who was it that concealed this statement from them? I mean, it's not difficult to comprehend. If I said to you, I am going to be betrayed into the hands of men, you wouldn't be confused very long, right? I mean, yeah, it's figurative language and all. I mean, these were just fishermen. What do we expect? No, but really... What's funny to me is that Jesus just said, let these words sink in. Now that's also figurative, meaning consider these words for some time until they affect you, until you know what to do with them. Let this next thing that I say not escape your attention. The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. In other words, men were going to take control of my life and in control of me. 
But I want to point out something. There's this big contrast here. Look at the contrast. The, the thing that's on the minds of the people in the crowd with what's on Jesus' mind and compare that to what's on the disciples' mind. I mean, there's been this amazing exorcism. The people are undoubtedly in a mode of celebration. They're looking at Jesus and they're like, wow, amazing. Everyone is astonished and amazed at the power of God. And the disciples are looking at this moment. The disciples, are, they're, looking at, they're looking at each other and they're excited about the power of God and this, and this movement and what's beginning to take shape under their eyes. Guys, he says, Jesus, guys, listen up. Come here. And right there in that moment, the Son of Man, he says, is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. Jesus has his mission on his mind. And they don't get it. They can't get it. They look at each other. They're caught off guard. And even though they don't get it, they couldn't bring themselves to ask about it because they were afraid of what it could mean. They thought they knew where this was headed. Jesus knows what is ahead. And he knows that there's some perspective change that needs to be formed in his followers. They're asking, am I great? And Jesus needs to rearrange that. Am I right? But let me say that statement again. Jesus knows what is ahead. And he knows that there's some perspective changes that need to happen, that need to be formed in his followers. For them to carry on with his mission. Do you know what I'm saying? Maybe that's true today. That Jesus knows what's ahead. And that he knows that there's some perspective changes that we need to have formed in us in order for us, his followers, to be able to carry on effectively with his mission. If Jesus wanted to prepare you to be his follower and to prepare you to be productive for his kingdom in this day and age, what would he want you to know? And what would he want you to value? He'd want you to know a few things. He'd want you to be clear on a few things. Number one, he'd want you to be clear on who he is. And number two, he'd want you to be clear on what he values. You know, what makes headlines in the newspapers written in heaven are a lot different than the things that make headlines in our newspapers today. I actually want to read Luke 22, 26 to 27. And he's talking with his disciples in this situation where they're talking about who's great and what is greatness. And he says in Luke 22, verse 26, but it must not be like this among you. On the contrary, whoever is greatest among you must become like the youngest, and whoever leads like the one serving. And then he, he, he brings this up. For, for who is greater, the one at the table or the one serving? Isn't it the one at the table? But I 
am among you as one who serves. The awesome truth here is that He has empowered you to serve in His kingdom. What would He need to do? What would He have to do to get your attention? How would He make sure that you had your perspectives changed, rearranged, so that you could be His kingdom-minded? Maybe in these past few days, He's been trying to get your attention. Maybe He's been trying to say to you, let this sink in. I want you to be ready for what's coming. Let me just ask, what has He said to you through His Word that you believe Jesus has been trying to get through to you? Have you been listening? Oh man, what did God say in the glorious moment when He, when he, he unveiled Jesus for, for all that He is when He was transfigured? He said, this is my Son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to Him. I'm convinced that He has truth for us to hear. Has He said to you, let this sink in a little? Take a moment to respond. I want to invite you to take a moment to respond. If you're on Facebook Live, I'd like to invite you to respond to this thread. Um, and by the way, you might as well share the service while you're in there. Hit the share button. Let people know you were here this morning gathered in the name of Jesus with other passionate followers of Jesus. So what has He been revealing about who He is? And what has He been revealing about what He values? Perhaps compared to what we've been valuing. So it, it's clear some responses are going to be coming in, and what we're going to do is take a look at those in just a moment. I want to go with you to the next scene, scene three, and scene one is God is great. Scene two is am I great? And scene three is called are we great? So scene three, verses 49 to 50 Verses 49 to 50. John responded, Master, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow us. Don't stop him, Jesus told him, because whoever is not against you is for you. Our kingdom value for scene three is in Jesus' kingdom, Division and comparison have no place. The body serving in unity makes the headlines. You could write next to it John chapter 17. John 17 verse 20 to 23 where you have Jesus praying for unity in, his believe, in the believers. In Jesus' kingdom, division and comparison have no place. The body serving in unity makes the headlines. What's the point here? The point is that it's not about you. You're not the big deal here. It's not about you. It's not about how big your group is. The, I'd like to use your Facebook soon. It's not about how big your group is. This kingdom that Jesus is building is going worldwide, and it's not designed for elitists. It's not about being in the in crowd, and it's not about your preacher. It's not about your denomination, and it's not about which school your degree is from. It's about the Son, Jesus. So I would like to take a, a moment just to look at the responses. What did you say? What has God's Word, His Spirit, been saying to you? 
So uh, I guess I'm living by faith at the moment. It's somebody actually replied to the thread. So what do we have? All right. So what we're going to do is go on to scene four. Scene four, don't they know that we are great? Scene four, don't they know that we're great? Verses 51 to 56. I'd like to read to you with you verse 51. When the days were coming to a close for him to be taken up, he determined to journey to Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead of him, and on the way they entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But they did not welcome him because he determined a journey to Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? But he turned and he rebuked them, and they went to another village. Kingdom value. In Jesus' kingdom, revenge and bitterness have no place. Grace and mercy that leads to forgiveness make the headlines. In Jesus' kingdom, revenge and bitterness have no place. Grace and mercy that leads to forgiveness make the headlines. And you can write Colossians 3, 12 to 14 next to that. So the Samaritans from one particular village, they weren't interested in welcoming Jesus because it was clear to them that Jesus wasn't planning to stay. Now, it was the disciples. They were sent on ahead to make preparations before Jesus came through. And they likely let the people of this village know their plans. And they decided that if Jesus isn't staying a while, then he might as well not even step foot in my town. Well, I also want to mention that I happen to love who is asking these questions. It sounds kind of to me like something Peter would say. Doesn't it sound like a Peter kind of response? Do you want me to call down fire from heaven and just burn them all up? Well, it's not. It's John. It's John. I don't know, that was significant to me. I know that the others were involved in in all these scenes, but as in like in verse 49, it was like, hey, we tried to stop this guy. He was he was driving out demons. He wasn't one of us. And here in verse 44, John's involved. Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven? What's interesting to me is like John is just He's like overexcited. He's like so excited about what God is doing and this, this new wave of this movement that Jesus is, is unleashing. Like Jesus is starting to gather such this, this following. I mean, it's, it's, John knows that he's following the right guy. Like he is so in it for Jesus. And he's, he's just in love with Jesus and in love with what, what God is doing and, and how God is, Jesus has invited him in to, to serving alongside of him and the, the power and the authority that, 
that he's been given. And he's like, man, I'm in, you know, I'm in on the ground floor of this thing. You know, I'm like, I bought the stock when it was low and this thing is going to explode. You know, wait till the people see how amazing this is. Wait till they see the power that we have, you know, and he's just like looking for something to do. And he's like super eager and ready to do something amazing. You know, it kind of reminds me of my, my son a little bit. He recently got his first set of tools. He's got his first set of tools, and every morning that I have a chance to be out in my backyard working, I'm no doubt I'm out there, and I hear the sliding glass go, Daddy, are you working? I'm going to help you. As he's running out, he doesn't have any shoes on, whatever of his jammies are left on, and he's out there, and he is ready to work, and he's looking at what I got, and he's looking at my, he grabs my drill, and he's pushing the button, and he's looking for something to drill, and he's, he'll drill the ground, and he'll drill the shed, and he'll drill my tree, and I'm like, JJ, stop, stop, stop. I have something productive for you to do. Here, take a rake and get these leaves, you know. I try to reorient them. Okay. he's got the hammer now and now he's got the hand he's going to hammer the ground and he's going to hammer a rock and he's going to hammer the shed and the fence and whoa 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 but he's super eager ready to build ready to use these new tools ready to implement and he's got it in his mind what we just might build together and he's got his mindset focused in on what makes sense to him. And Jesus recognizes, I need to get their attention. And I need to rearrange some things. And I need to change some of their values so that they can be my kingdom-minded. All right. So I gave you a little extra time to write in a response. So I just want to say, Katie, she's been, she wrote in that He's been revealing that he's in control, not me. That I think I have so much control, but I don't. Only him. Thank you, Katie. The word essential has taken on a whole new meaning to me. He is my great essential from Cindy. Wanda wrote, God's peace is beyond our understanding. John Capon, I think that Jesus' followers were finding opposition from not only the demon, but the religious leaders as well. And that's true. Just like the video that we showed, that clip, uh, it depicts the scene from Mark 9. Uh, I think it's Mark 9, where it's also recorded right after the transfiguration. Jesus encounters a boy with a demon. And we get a few more details to, to the story there, including the arguments between the scribes. And uh, um, so... And Jeff, he wrote in, he's like, he's learning right now that his shortcomings as the spiritual leader um, have been shown to him. And God's been telling him to stay in prayer and to listen. And Sharon Tanaka said, God is doing something far beyond what we can see or hear. And so I don't, I think we're going we're gonna to stop there. And thank you guys very much for participating uh, this morning. And so where we were is we, we finished with Scene four, and the kingdom value in scene four is missing. 
kingdom value is that in Jesus' kingdom, revenge and bitterness have no place. Grace and mercy that lead to forgiveness make the headlines. So in the final section, in our final scene today, we get to hear of three interactions that Jesus had with people. Three interactions. I don't think they all happened one after the other. I think that Luke has compiled them kind of to to capture for us what this looks like for his disciples to have their kingdom mindset, their, the, the training that they needed to participate in. Uh, so scene five, if you want to write in your notes, and I've titled it, oh, great. It's from verses 56 to 62. And they went to another village. Verse 57. As they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus told him, Foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Verse 59, Then he said to another, Follow me. Lord, he said, First, let me go bury my father. But he told him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Verse 61. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So our kingdom value in this section is in Jesus' kingdom, there's no room for looking back. Putting God's purposes above your own agenda makes the headlines. Wow, this is getting tough. If your father was passing away and you were told to just leave him behind and the rest of the family, I mean, wouldn't you have a few questions? Maybe let, bury my, let me bury my father was, was more than just go and bury and have a funeral. It was really saying, can I wait until my father passes? Can I care for him until he passes? As in, I'm busy now caring for him now. Uh, he needs me right now. When he's gone and buried, then I will follow you. I don't know. Think about this. Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. Now, who's going to bury the father? The dead. Who is that? Does he mean the rest of his family? The rest of his family's dead? They're, they're considered dead? Your father is soon to be dead, and the rest of your family are dead, so they will let them take care of each other. This is, this is tough. And, but here's what's clear. All three of these snippets together Jesus knew what to say in each circumstance to the people he was talking to. Let's make that clear. But these snippets have been put together by Luke, led by the Spirit, to warn us and to sober their minds and their heart and our minds and our heart about what it means to follow him. He's definitely reprioritizing his disciples' values. He's re-identifying who's really alive and dead. And he's reinforcing his call to follow. Follow me. In Jesus' kingdom, there's no room for looking back. 
Putting God's purposes above your own agenda makes the headlines. So in conclusion, do disciples get it by the end of the passage? Do they get it? We're in the middle of the, the greatest training program on earth. And in our passage today, we don't know whether or not they get it. In our passage today. We only get this strong gaze into this snippet, this, this little piece of time as Jesus is traveling. He's leaving the, the area surrounding the Sea of Galilee. And if you have your kids packet, you have a little map in there. And there's a, uh, probably a map available where you see where is Jesus. The transfiguration happens up at the, the top. And there's an there's a X there above Caesarea Philippi. And he's decided, he just talked to Moses, Elisha. They got this plan figured out. He's headed to Jerusalem. And he's got this long journey to make. And as he goes, he's sending out people ahead of him. And in fact, next passage, next week, we have more people are being recruited. He says, pray for the harvest. We'll, let, uh, we'll pray, for, pray for laborers. And we'll let Pastor Kurt talk about that next week. But as they're going, we get this little gaze into this training, training moments on the way. Now I asked earlier, what would Jesus do if he wanted to get you ready to be productive for his kingdom purposes in the days ahead? You know, that assumes something. The question assumes something. It assumes that he knows the days ahead. In Jeremiah 29 11, this promise was given to, to his people, Israel, for I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration, plans for your welfare not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. He knows the plans that he has for the kingdom of Israel. He knows the plans that he has for you. He knows what is ahead, and he knows how to prepare you. It assumes another thing. The question, what would he do if he wanted to get you ready, assumes that he wants you to be productive for his kingdom. And I just want to read John 15, verse 16. He wants you to be productive for his kingdom. You, didn't chose, you did not choose me. I chose you. I appointed you that you should go out and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. So again, if he wanted to get you ready to be productive for his kingdom in the days ahead, he would first, he would show you who he is. He would show you his grace and his truth. He's the way, the truth, the life. He would bring you to himself. And he would bring himself into focus for you. Look at the transfiguration. That's exactly what he did. He made it known. Peter had just declared, you're the Messiah. He says, you haven't seen nothing yet. Boom. When you look at Jesus, do you see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ? Would He call you out when you're being faithless? Would He call you out when you're being rebellious? Would He still love you? Would He still walk with you? and remind you of your calling, He would. He'd call you out when you're going wrong, but He would still love you 
just like he did with John. And he would clarify what success looks like in his kingdom. He would rearrange our misconceptions about what it looks like to be a player in his kingdom. No promotions. The headlines in Jesus' kingdom read differently than the newspapers that dominate our world order. And he would warn you that this is going to cost you. And he would tell you, put God's kingdom purposes above your own. Above your own kingdom. Above your own agenda. So in closing, in times like these, we all need endurance. Endurance, endurance is keeping at the main thing despite the circumstances, whether they're good or they're bad or indifferent. I want to read from Hebrews 12, chapter, I mean chapter 12, verse 1, and I'm going to invite the worship team to come up behind me and we're going to worship our Lord. Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross and despised the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of God's throne. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. In struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you've forgotten the word of encouragement the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or faint when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. So here's this. As you leave today, I just want to remind you to make it your desire to Number one, know who Jesus is. And number two, let him train you for success in his kingdom. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for inspiring Luke to write this account. And Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit who is working on our hearts right now. And we give ourselves to you and we, we ask that you would speak, that you would rearrange, that you would encourage, that we may endure. We pray this in the name of your Son. Amen.